All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Now we're gonna talk to one of the good guys that works behind the scenes. And folks like this are super important to getting things done. And I want you to meet some of them. So Zach Mallets has long history, he's co-founder of Real Justice Pack. He is a partner at the social practice. He's a field director on the Beto for Texas 2018 Senate run, don't hold that against him. He's a deputy national digital organizing director on the Bernie 2016 presidential campaign. And they actually did excellent work on the better campaign. And now he's one of the co-founders of Beat Abbott Pack. So Zach, welcome to the Young Turks, brother. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So let's talk about the new pack. What is Beat Abbott Pack? Yeah, so you know, Texas at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic was actually doing pretty well. We locked down really early and had cases more or less under control. Um, but Greg Abbott's uh, response to coronavirus since then has been both incompetent and corrupt. He, you know, rushed to reopen the state um, very early, and as a result of that, um, we've seen surging cases. Um, to date, nearly 10,000 people have died in Texas. Um, over 1,000 of them in the last week, and so, um, you know. As there's mass outrage over his mishandling of coronavirus, there aren't a lot of political vehicles to take advantage of that. Most elected Democrats in the state right now are busy saving lives, and so they can't hold Greg Abbott accountable. And most most Democrats in the state who are working on elections are focused on 2020. So the Beat Abbott Pack is a political home for people who want to start organizing right now to defeat Greg Abbott and to hold him accountable for his failure on coronavirus. Zach, that's why you're one of the best in the business because you work ahead of time to make sure we plant the seeds so that we can actually have victory. Um, and and so, um, but let's talk about where the how what you guys are going to do. Where's the money going to go? Because you don't have a candidate right now. So what what do you do with that? That's right. So we're going to build. A- our goal is to build a fundraising list that we can then use to raise money for the eventual Democratic nominee. In Texas, there's no limits on campaign contributions. And so any resources that we build inside of the pack, we can then use on behalf of the eventual Democratic nominee. So whether that's money that we raise, an email list that we build, staff that we hire, you know, anything essentially we can build a campaign in waiting to aid the eventual Democratic nominee. And like we saw in 2018, Texas is highly competitive if you have the resources to compete statewide. But, you know, most Democrats who could run for statewide office will start with very few resources. And so we want to start now to build an infrastructure that can then pivot to supporting whoever the eventual Democratic nominee is. And so, uh, we've got Beto O'Rourke obviously as a possibility, and we got the Castro brothers as possibilities. Um, anyone else out there that's possible? Um, and and do you just wait for the primary to be over and then give it to whoever wins? That's right. I, I think it's hard to speculate about who's actually going to run. You know, it's important to remember that when Beto ran for Senate. Uh, he wasn't the better work we know now. Um, actually, not a lot of people knew about him. Um, you know, he's a relatively unknown member of Congress who came out of nowhere. And so, it's very possible that you know the person who will um, you know set the state on fire in 2022 is somebody we've never even heard of, or very few people have. So, you know, it's hard to hard to speculate. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a general election play. So our goal is to support whoever the eventual Democratic nominee is. Okay, yeah, and there's were a lot of progressives who ran in these primaries that are wonderful candidates. 
let alone, I mean, here, I'll give you a wild possibility. So Adrian Bells was a just Democrat last time around. She's running for office again, she's in the general election. I call her the Liberty Bell. Now, people think, well, she I don't know that she's got a great chance of winning that race. Well, that's what they said about Cori Bush until she came up and won the race. And now she's a star, right? And so if you have a progressive win, whether it's Adrian Bell or anyone else, win a surprising race like that, and then come out of the gate as a star in Texas, well, that's a super interesting possibility as well. But but let's talk about Greg Abbott, because that's mainly what you're doing here. You're trying to take down Greg Abbott. And so Abbott is more popular than Ted Cruz in Texas, for example, when they ran together, meaning they were on this, you know, in the same election cycle. Cruz only won by three, but Abbott won by 13. So I know those numbers have changed because of coronavirus, but before we talk about that, Talk to me about why Abbott was popular in the first place and more popular than a guy like Cruz. Yeah, Abbott has largely, you know, stayed above the fray in Texas. His strategy has been to, you know, court both the business Republicans in Texas and the the culture warriors. And he's done a pretty good job of not getting in the middle of fights between those two factions in the Republican Party. And meanwhile, has cultivated an image of competence. Um, part of what's so important about what's happening right now is that we're seeing that Greg Abbott actually is a completely incompetent leader. Um, you know, it, his uh, approval ratings for his handling of coronavirus have dropped by double digits over the last couple of months. He's currently underwater at 44% as of a poll last month. Um, and so this is really a pretty significant change in the way that he's being viewed in the state. Um, we're also seeing that he's completely corrupt. Um, you know, the people who have been advising him on reopening Texas are a bunch of campaign donors. Um, you know, who he packed his his task force to reopen Texas with, and so we're seeing that it's it's really business interests rather than you know the concern for Texans you know health and safety that's that's driving his response, and I think that's changing the way that people view him now. Zach, I think we already got something important out of this um, uh, interview. Uh, slogan not just for Greg Abbott, but perhaps for the entire Republican Party: uh, incompetent and corrupt. Uh, <laughs> whereas the Democratic Party is competent and corrupt. Uh, so I'm not, I think incompetent and corrupt is worse, I think. Uh, but anyway, um, so, uh, but that that was the veneer that Abbott and a lot of Republicans had. Oh, no, 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 I'm working with business interests, so I'm competent. No, you never, like the Texas governor barely does anything, right? So we never really had a chance to test his competence until there was actually something where you needed a real leader. And and on the corruption front, it's to me, it's always the media. Look, when you take these massive donations, as George Bush did, as Republican governor, and and Rick Perry did, and then Greg Abbott did, the corruption is really the main thing that defines them and got them in the office in the first place. So, um, but so that leads to the question of: It's interesting that during coronavirus, we're getting past. The wall of mainstream media helping establishment politicians, including establishment Republicans like Abbott, in covering up for their corruption and their incompetence. How are we getting past that? Is it just a raw number of people dying around you that, that people are like, uh, maybe the media is not right about this guy being such a wonderful, competent leader? I mean, there's so much of our normal politics that's you know purely symbolic and performative, and under these circumstances. You actually have to do a good job, especially if you're in an executive role like Abbott is, right? The buck stops with you in terms of 
you know, your response to an emergency that's affecting literally every single American right now. Um, if people aren't getting sick, if they don't know someone who's, di- who's died, they maybe have lost their job. Certainly they're afraid for their health, you know, and all of us have changed our daily lives as a result of this. So, you know, I think there's a spotlight on people in executive roles in a way that there hasn't been before. And there's a direct relationship between whether they do a good job and how our daily lives are going now. You know, you can see if you have an incompetent and especially incompetent Republican governor, things are going a lot worse than they are in states where we have actual bureaucratic competence and where you know where our leaders aren't trying to kill us. Yeah, well, look, I'm partly kidding, partly serious when I say that the slogans of the Republican, I'm not at all kidding when I say the slogan of the Democratic, I'm sorry, the Republican Party is incompetent and corrupt. But only half kidding when I say the Democrats are competent and corrupt, but actually competent and corrupt right now is better than incompetent and corrupt because we have an epidemic and you need competence in order to get the right scientists and doctors, etc. to actually work on this, which leads to what happened in Texas. How, how much do you think that the Republicans have hurt themselves, both in Texas and nationally, with a critical voting block, senior citizens, by having guys like Lieutenant Governor in Texas, Dan Patrick, come out and say, ah, who cares? Let's just reopen the economy. And if old people die, they die. Uh, and that seemed to be a message that Abbott also participated in. And how much did that bring his polling down? And how, and more importantly, how much is it gonna hurt him in the elections? Because senior citizens vote more than anyone else does. Yeah, I think it could be really significant. I mean, you know, I think there was a, a, certainly an inflection point in the pandemic when the epicenter moved from blue states to red states. And I think we'll probably see the same thing where, you know, you have coronavirus just tearing through, um, you know, nursing homes. Um, this could be a real thing where it's, it's no longer, you know, symbolic conflict with, you know, Democrats who don't live in our community. It's actually Republican policies are affecting me and the people that I know. Um, you know, and as more and more people know somebody who died because of you know their Republican governor's failure, I think it could significantly change the way that people um, perceive them. And this is part of what we're trying to do with the Beat Abbott Pack is make sure that a story is told about who's responsible, so that when people are dying, when people are getting sick, everyone knows who's responsible and who the buck stops with. That it's Greg Abbott who could have prevented this, and it's his fault that that people are dying. Yeah, totally. Look, as an example, if my parents were in a nursing home when this started, I would have gotten them the hell out of there as soon as I could. I'm just keeping it real. Those things, they, they more people died there than anywhere else all across the country. Uh, and uh, But the abbots of the world told you everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Everything is fine. And if you got that wrong memo, it might have cost your parents their lives. And and there's got to be a political price to pay for that, and and that's what you guys are trying to do. So uh, last quick thing, Zach, is uh, where can people find Beat Abbott Pack or, or help? You can find us online at Beat Abbott uh, with two B's and two T's. BeatAbbott.com. BeatAbbott.com. All right, we'll put the links down below in the description box as usual as well. And I know you guys are kings at uh, at volunteering and organizing volunteers, so make sure uh, people check that out as well. Zach Malice, thanks for joining us on the Outdoors. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. All right, back in the conversation. Uh, now we got a guest for you who's a bit of a progressive hero. Uh, he was just Democrat back in 2018, nearly won the election in the middle of Kansas. Uh, and uh, he also was on the platform committee uh, last time around in 2016 as a Bernie Sanders representative. And he introduced an anti-corruption amendment, uh, basically what Wolfpack wants to do was awesome. 
Uh, he uh, is on the rules, so he was on the rules committee this time around and caused a ruckus. That's mainly what we're gonna talk about. <laughs> uh, but he's also uh, set up a new law firm too, welderfirm.com, where he's kicking insurance companies' asses. Catastrophic injury and wrongful death is what they do, welderfirm.com. So it's Brent Welder, everybody. Brent, <laughs> back to the Young Turks. Oh my God, it's like old times. I'm so glad to uh, be back with you, Jink. Absolutely. So, uh, Brent, you also apparently have a story about uh, 2016 and and the DNC and Hillary Clinton folks regarding TYT. I have not heard the story yet. I can't wait. It's apparently related to how we were denied a press pass this time around. So that's a juicy one. But what you did at the Rules Committee was awesome. So uh, tell us about what you proposed at the Rules Committee, and then we'll talk about uh, what the reaction was. Sure, sure. Well, you know, as as you're well aware, a huge, enormous issue to me, and one of the reasons I've been a TYT member for now probably a good part of a decade, is because I think the most important issue is getting the corrupting influence of money out of politics. And when Bernie Sanders gave me this unbelievable opportunity to actually sit on these DNC committees that they would never ever allow me to get anywhere near under any circum under any other circumstances, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to either a actually root some corruption out of the DNC if I could get the DNC members to go along with me on it, right? Or B, the more likely scenario, expose the corruption that is occurring right out in the open to make sure that people across the country and the National Press Corps and everyone gets to see it. Um, you know, So that's what I did. So what exactly was the rule that you thought the DNC should apply? So there was a number of rules that I proposed, but the one that kind of got the most attention was two things that I think are obvious and common sense. One, um, no corporate PAC money being allowed to the DNC, which is actually similar to a rule they've already passed and they, they already have in place. And all my amendment would have done was strengthen it and make it more permanent by putting it into the party charter. And number two, not letting corporate lobbyists literally sit on the DNC. It, it didn't ban them from the building. It certainly didn't ban them from their favorite place, the halls of Congress or the administration. It just said, how about we don't have actual corporate lobbyists sitting on the DNC? So, um, you know, I, I had a, an anti-corruption amendment that I brought uh, along those lines. So. Um who did the other side have speak against your proposed rule? So, so you know, as a little bit of background, in 2016, when I was on the platform committee, and I put and I put forth an amendment to say that as a party, we should stand for not having the corrupting influence of money in politics. The very first person that they had speak against my amendment was actually a corporate lobbyist that was serving on the committee, and at the time, I thought it was a hilarious mistake. On their part, right? Like, oh wow, how perfect for my message. The, literally, the first person they put up to speak against it is a corporate lobbyist. Well, to my surprise, four years later, this year, I put forth my anti-corruption amendment on the rules committee. They literally had a hand-picked corporate lobbyist that was sitting on the rules committee that was the first person to speak against my amendment. And it was at that moment that I realized they actually don't even think it's a bad thing to have the corporate lobbyists on the on the committee. They, they literally think it's a good thing. Um, and they're, they're bragging about it right out in the open. Yeah, so a lot of the corporate lobbyists that uh, voted against you uh, that are on, on the DNC and on the rules committee, uh, represent insurance companies, uh, banks, uh, Pakistan. I mean, it's absurd. It's unbelievably absurd. So, um, 
didn't they try to table your resolution first? Didn't so, Frank give you some weird or non-existent excuse for that? So Sludge actually did some tremendous reporting afterwards and they actually have already identified 11 corporate lobbyists that were literally sitting on the committee that I was trying to get this passed through, including both of the chair people of the committee, okay, that were either corporate lobbyists or they their job is to is corporate influence. Um, and then to to almost, you know, uh, almost do more to, to expose the corruption than my amendment was even going to be able to do if they just did a regular vote. They actually used corrupt tactics and even rigged the, the voting device to try to make sure that my amendment not only was killed in the committee, but that there was never any record of how the members of the committee were voting on it. And my favorite part was you asked Bonnie Frank for an explanation. He gave a word salad that made no sense. And you literally said, "Oh, okay, well then that makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you know, and the thing is the DNC had accidentally left my microphone on or else I never would have been able to even protest that. I love that. So you eventually did vote. And since your proposed rule is so clear and obvious, I mean, you don't want to have Democratic Party look like the party of corruption. You won the vote, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. In fact, you know, let me clarify a little bit. They, they, they actually opened up the voting on my amendment. I went over to the voting device that they give us online, this virtual voting device, because of course I wanted to vote yes on my own amendment. What do you know, the voting device didn't work. It had been working perfectly the entire meeting for two hours, it didn't work. I kept going back as this corporate lobbyist was droning on about why people should vote against my amendment. Still didn't work, still didn't work. All of a sudden there's this random motion in the middle of the voting to table my amendment. Which I didn't even know I was thinking table until when, why don't we've already heard about it? Why don't we just have a vote like we have on every other amendment that's been proposed? Um, and so they actually had, I think accidentally opened up the voting and then told their techies on the other side to not open up the voting to actually literally rig the voting device so that people couldn't vote so that they could get their, their motion to table in. Yeah, and, and they voted against it, of course. Of course, okay, what did it lose, <laughs> like two to one? Exactly, exactly. Virtually all the Bernie um, nominees voted for it and all the DNC and Biden nominees voted against it. And they just, it seems to me that they just take it as par for the course. Like they're, they're, they're kind of puzzled by people like you and me, right Brent? They're like, well, how do you expect us to make money if we can't get the politicians to kill Medicare for all for the insurance companies that we work for? Um, so, I guess the the, the main question uh, there, Brent, is we're never going to beat them while they're still in charge, right? With the Bidens of the world, they're never going to be like, "Oh, Brent, that's such a good point." Like, we sh your anti-corruption amendment is like 99% popularity in the country. Your rules committee proposal that we not have like lobbyists who people hate. On the DNC is the 99% popular. They're never going to realize that. So is the only way to win on these rules that you keep proposing um, to win at the presidential level? And until we do that, we, we just we can't 
moves this ball forward. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. In fact, they're so brazen that they actually sent an intermediary to me, a friend of mine, someone who I was very trustworthy before the meeting who called me up and told me that the Biden campaign was most upset of all the amendments that were proposed in the meeting, was most upset about my anti-corruption amendment that I was putting forth. Um, so I don't see any hope for any change other than until we do it at the ballot box. Yeah, and look guys, you have to understand why, because Biden thinks, hey, look, I'm in the middle of an election and I need all of my lobbyist friends to give me tons and tons of money. So what are you guys doing, man? Remember, I mean, this is how the ball game is playing. That's why I said nothing would fundamentally change. I made a promise to those lobbyists and I got to keep it. And so, and they think that's perfectly normal. They don't think that they think that, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be corrupt like that. Anyway, okay, speaking of which, so this year around, when we thought there was gonna be an in-person DNC, we applied for credentials and he came back and said, no, we're, we're limited on space because of coronavirus issues. Like limited on space, we're bigger than CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. In uh, in social media, on Facebook, YouTube, etc. Are you like really? And they say, oh yeah, really. Um, so, but you have a story about that in regards to 2016, and I haven't heard it. So, what is right. it? So, first of all, I was so extremely upset about the fact that the DNC was so stupid to deny you guys class credentials. In fact, I see it as complete and utter disrespect to the entire progressive community. I think it's literally the least they could do, right? Is like just let you cover a convention that's out there for the public anyway. But it made me think of four years ago when I was down in Florida for the platform committee, You know, all the higher ups of the, of the campaign and the presidential campaign, the DNC were there. And I got into a conversation just by happenstance with a couple of the top, top very, very top communications people with the DNC and with Hillary Clinton's campaign. And during this conversation, I brought up what I thought was a very, very good idea that would help Hillary Clinton win the election. Um, they had already been through a tough primary with Bernie Sanders. Bernie had been on your show, I believe at least once, if not multiple times. Multiple. And, and at that point, you were telling people, it's time to vote for Hillary because she's so much better than Donald Trump. So I made the, uh, you know, crazy suggestion that, hey, why don't you guys have Hillary Clinton go on TYT and get interviewed? I said they already are pushing for her to win. Yes, they'll ask fair questions, but they're fair. They're, you know, I've seen people of all different, you know, political stripes go on the show and they get asked, you know, firm but fair questions. And, you know, frankly, um, their their response was what was most shocking to me and what was so telling about what they think of the progressive movement. It wasn't like, oh, no way, we would never go on with a progressive. It wasn't like, oh no, I just can't stand those people, whatever. They literally said they had never heard of your show or you before. <laughs> and they were like perplexed as to why I was making this ridiculous suggestion to go on some show that they had literally never heard of. Even though they just went through an entire primary where Bernie was on your show. I mean, it's it's inconceivable. I, you, I, you probably had even been on MSNBC at that point. Yeah, at that point, yeah, I had already been on five time most <laughs> on MSNBC. But that's, it's not about me. It, it, Bernie Sanders, when he came on the first time in that primary, got six million, we, we got six million people who watched it. The same time he came on, it was like the Friday of Labor Day, uh, and the uh, primary was winding down. So we only got 4 million people who watched it. So for them to be that clueless 
And the amount of money that our audience has raised for different Democratic candidates is in the millions upon millions. And for them to be that absolutely clueless about the digital world, that they're like, huh, what? Who is that? I mean, that, and then and then what happened, Brent? They got their ass kicked exactly. because Donald Trump killed them in digital. I first started watching the Young Turks back when I literally was working for a state Democratic Party, you know, 10 years ago. And so the fact that they have people in charge of these political operations at the national level that don't even know the most basic things and the most basic communications that are occurring to their base was mind blowing, but also very educational as far as why they're having so much trouble with winning these these important elections. Last thing on that, look guys, so we're, we're bigger than CNN and all the cable news guys in social media today. But we were bigger than them four years ago too. And so- <laughs> There was no doubt who the Young Turks were. I mean, it was, it blew my mind. It really no, again, yeah, it's not about us. It's that the Democratic Party oftentimes because it's led by these feckless corrupt folks, is totally clueless as to what's happening in the real country, <laughs> and and so and that's why they, they they wind up losing as Hillary Clinton did, and it was a terrible terrible mistake that they made, and they lost by seventy eight thousand votes. Anyway, uh, let's hope they don't repeat that mistake. But on the other hand, the idea of Joe Biden coming on the Young Turks, so it doesn't look like he's around the corner. But it would be literally one of the smartest things he could do if he wanted to get millions of, of extra votes, right? They, they're, and they're so quick to, to wonder why you know, they, they blame the progressives for losing every single time. But yet they never ever try to get the progressive votes. It's mind blowing, it really is. All right, Brent Welder, uh, you're awesome. Thanks for fighting for progressives on the platform committee, the rules committee, in politics and everything that you do. Thank you, brother, we appreciate well, it. Thank you too, talk to you later.